0: Nice. So Mickey, thanks for coming on. Um, Before we get started, Richie was really keen to know something, weren't you, Richie?
1: Yeah, so it's the big big question that I've been, uh, I've been waiting to ask is, how does a rocket scientist end up in the workplace industry?
2: <laughs> That's a good question. Um, uh, some slight misdirection. Um, what
1: well, yeah. the, mis-
2: well, the missiles or, or you? No, the missiles I had, I always got them working. They tended to, bear <laughs> in mind, a missile doesn't hit anything. It's called a missile for a reason, otherwise it'd be called a hit
1: Um <laughs>
2: It was I was uh, leaving the armed forces to go to the European Space Agency and um, I had a specific set of skills like a scene out of Taken. I will find you and I will um a <laughs> specific set of skills and skills at the time. And one of my counterparts got seriously injured out in the Gulf during a, um, a point of particular tension, which meant my employment where I was going to, I kind of got pulled back from. Only for a few weeks, which turned into a few months. So the role I was going into then went when I got back to the UK. Um, and uh, in my transition period, um, somebody posted something on LinkedIn. Um, so I got in touch with that person who sat on the screen, and he um, he said, "Actually, I've got a couple of people to talk to." He said, "We get some people from the armed forces." Um, and I looked at the property industry, um, and it was. He's probably going to talk about it's a little bit archaic. So I thought, what a great opportunity with the skill set I've got where I had largely modernized um, both program management and technology, and then uh, over and above the rocket scientist. I'd been the chief engineer for a whole class of warship that were brought into service called the Type 45 Destroyer and the kind of challenges we got in the built environment are the exact same challenges the maritime environment had in terms of um, you know, issues with skill sets, uh, the general um, resource population, cost of operations and trying to do um, improved uptime for assets with reduced energy. It sounds familiar, doesn't it? Mm-hmm, so um, absolutely. I, I thought with well, the skill set I've got and actually it means I'll be at home, we'll be on dry land, slightly different. I shall step into that sector for a while as great experience uh, and I'm still here. Um, and it's only now actually that some of those things, I've always talked about it uh, with Sean and then a couple of companies have been at, it now feels like the um, the sector is coming of age and wants to embrace the idea of using um, automation, center-based technology, use analytics and starting to think in a, a more digital fashion, as well as trying to improve the I guess the quality of work for people who are in the sector, because we do a lot of mundane tasking, which doesn't add great value. Uh, And I think now when you look at by using analytics, by working in a different way, it'll make people's day just that more fulfilled, I think. And people should be happy with the kind of work that the future now holds, as well as having some form of control and the ability, hopefully to kind of generate careers. Because you look at the whole chupy piece we do in the UK, I don't think it helps the kind of engineering, cleaning, concierge workforce half time I think we Um, were
0: discussing previously, Mickey. Just also the model with um, with contracts being so short doesn't really help either.
2: That is awful, and um, I don't see you get value. It's nervousness where we've fallen into a um, probably a procurement driven routine because it was a mechanism to try and prove value for money. Now there are other mechanisms, but it's it's easier. Everyone's on a level playing field. So if we look at the engineering component, SFG twenty. and I don't think most people ever read the front page, which it says, if you know nothing else, start here as a baseline maintenance plan and then adjust to your business need. Well, No one reads that. They just read come every 30 days and change a filter, come every six months and, and rattle a spanner. And the team that put that together, it was never intended, even though it's become the Bible, to be the standard Bible. But, but for procurement, it means in terms of you no, know, it's a hyper competitive market, you're comparing apples with apples. Uh, and to a point it's forced it even more so into that high-volume, low-margin business, which means you struggle to find value-add for the client over and above just doing the basics because that's all you can afford. So the idea of truly investing in people and being able to give them a structured career framework is a bit tricky when you just don't have the margin to do it. The idea of investing in technology, investing in things like uh, more sustainable vehicles as well as a more sta- sustainable operating um model it becomes really really challenging and some people attempt it but that's when you expand the portfolio of work you offer so you can do more profitable activities to try and fund the baseline operation and and, you know for bigger corporations like a cbre jll uh, i guess to a point, cushman wakefield they have some of that flexibility because they offer a high level of professional services which carries a bigger margin which means you can invest then in trying to change the service delivery element for something that is more challenging with margin Now, there are, with technology, I think is now offering us the opportunity where you can move to a healthier margin while actually offering a better service. And the client, whether it be an owner, owner owner-occupier, or just occupier outright on a short or long-term let, they should be afforded the opportunity now to see there is a better way of getting service, which is better value. And then to complete the point that Sean raised, that means that the relationship should be longer. And um, I worked for GSH for a while, and um, Mark Thomas did a fantastic job out in the States, um, where they nurtured a, a different way of doing uh, some of the contracts. And one of them, absolute win at the National Institute of Health, they got locked to lease, so they were the provider to the lease. So it was a twenty-year contract. Wow, that is brilliant, yeah. but yeah. but that holds you to skin in the game. So the ownership of the staff to have pride. It was a real, you know, human component. But also, they're, they're held long-term to decisions and activities to do now in three years' time. If it's going to bite, it's going to bite you as a service provider. So you take that into account that you're there for the long-term, and you you do have to look after the estate. And to a point, I guess it's how PFIs were set up, that give you ownership, give you the sinking fund, but you will own the pain in 15 years' time if you haven't got your numbers right and you haven't got your service right. And another one they did there, I think it was... Um, that wasn't Caltech, one of the California universities. That was uh, an initial seven-year contract, which would then be benchmarked. So they ran a benchmarking service to ensure you are getting value for money. So those two kind of models, um, now people are going to have liquidity challenges, it costs you to bid, it costs you to go to market. I think um, you know, for our customers and clients within the service sector that there's a real opportunity to um, think different, act different, think, well, am I really getting value from this, or should I change the change the engagement, change the relationship, that can still mark the provider's homework, but actually together we can work in you know, true partnership. So it's it's really profitable across the three Ps, you know, people, place and profit for both parties. Um, and I think we're probably seeing some of that movement now, because if you're going to invest in a little bit of technology, if you want to do a different delivery format, your return investment may not be within that three-year window. But that's fine. If you're going to work together longer, especially on sustainability elements, then uh, that's a much better way to work together. Um, And using data, um, you know, one of the questions that may come up is like looking at the idea of smart contracts using um, distributed ledger transfer. You can use those tools now to keep everybody honest because data is great. It keeps everything transparent. Because unless you're really going out your way to try and fudge it, and in most cases it'll be audited, it means everyone's got one version of the truth. And by operating on that
1: one version of the truth, it means the
2: relationship's a lot a lot healthier because it is completely open.
1: Absolutely. And, and you know, moving the service up the value chain, um, you know, make it so it's not just a commodity, you know, number of engineering hours, num- number of cleaners, you know, number of porters, front of house, um, you know, mo- moving up the value chain, you know, showing the value of using data, as well, and having having a data driven approach, um, I think the benefits of that are huge, and but you do need your client to buy into that also, um, you know. So it's not just a, a procurement driven, you know, race to the bottom, um, you know, based on cost. So that that buy in and and, um, and and that long term partnership, I suppose, is really important to that. Do You think um,
0: COVID's having an effect on how um, the clients now thinking about their their facilities management procurement from a more strategic standpoint?
2: From um, service providers view, absolutely. Um, COVID, it, you know, it's been devastating to economies. It's, it's taken people's lives and it's put people's livelihoods as a result um, in threat. But, but with any kind of crisis, you get, you know, really deep negative, but in most cases, you when you look slightly longer term, there will be a positive and, and there was two positives that are coming out of this. It, collectively around the globe, it's asking us all to think and act differently about the way we work, the way we live, the way we travel. And then the bigger part around that is the planet got um, three months of breathing space. The air was cleaner, people generally were happier. We remembered that we've gotten outdoors and we really seeked to try and look after that outdoors. Uh, it's not evangelical, but, but it's given us just a glimpse of how we could and should look after our environment better. And on the back of that, you've seen Shell and BP have pivoted, really brave decision. And as a result, they've had to say goodbye to quite a lot of their colleagues because they can't sustain that structure anymore around harbor, hydrocarbon that's a dying product. Um, but there, you know, they were really big, bold moves by those two um, big, effectively oil companies that now become sustainable energy companies. But then on a smaller scale within the built environment, everybody now quite rightly is put on their agenda. We need to operate differently. And, you know, the, the four components we're looking at is is that. Um, hub club roman home because that's the way we'll operate you will still have offices they're not they're not going to die but we will use them differently we will visit them probably less frequently and there will be a different experience that we want from them but likewise where you look at the retail space which i think is a great great opportunity well that just needed repurposing anyway because the the retail experience on the high street was changing It, it was it wasn't dying people say it's dying it was just struggling to adjust this will kick it so this will be a positive that it will now have to become semi-digital it'll have to make the visit to the high street much more experiential but you will end up with space that doesn't need to be you know racks of clothes it won't be a baker's it won't be a hairdresser's so you can use that as localized short-run office space because we will still want an office experience for those that you know i'm I'm quite lucky that we've got a decent sized home office uh, because the way i worked anyway i needed it Lots of people have had to sit on the edge of the bed or, you know, up against the coffee table. The idea of being able to go to a short run um, office space that's got a right desk, it's got 5G connectivity whilst it can mildly cater for you. Well, that's going to happen now. It it may take, you know, another 12, 15, 16 months. But the owners of those spaces will probably get less capital return, but they will get use out of them. And it means within, you know, local villages, the smaller towns. You'll reuse that space and then as we're seeing we've already got you know 4g good coverage 5g the whole roam bit will go to the pub go to a restaurant go to a coffee shop which people were doing anyway but it'll probably come more of your drumbeat plus home so the the coverage of your workspace is now vast it probably means a repurposing of what the fm does that it will as richie said it become much more digital so therefore you will start looking after people not just place because the place won't be just static yeah. so if you're looking after you know medium to large size company i think the role will start to ensure that there is an it component they get connectivity because it will be about their function and productivity now the other measure we can start doing now with um, digital techniques and analytics is we can start measuring a level of wellness and we look at those two core components of absenteeism and producti- uh, product uh, presenteeism sorry and you look at those two figures, that directly relates to the productivity associated, with whatever you do in your building, whether you're you know, making cars, whether you're a distribution center, whether you're a regular office, or even if you are just a small retail unit, for the hours you're there, you expect a level of revenue return, which has to be profitable. Uh, and we have ways to measure that, but we have ways to link it to people's general um, mental and physical wellness. And the stuff that then comes back to, at you know, like the m and world within FM, that we know with the right air, the right light, the right temperature, we're more comfortable and we work better. So I think we will start to see quite quickly in 2021 um, contracts being measured around those components, which you can, you know, it doesn't have to be big data, quite small data, but it's easy to say, was my temperature up or down at that time, the level of light, the indoor air quality, plus how much energy did I burn to achieve a day's work? And then it's down to the individual user of that space to say, how much work did I get done that day? But that allows us to start moving to, I think, a smarter contract rather than spot cleaning. Coming back to Richie's point, you had five cleaners on site for four hours. You don't know what they cleaned. Hopefully they cleaned the cleaning routine. but I expected 10 engineers here this month to do a bit of lighting, a bit, bit of lift, um, you know, 20, two hots, two coals. We've ended up measuring the wrong thing because this comes to that, move up the value chain, measure the right thing, and we manage it collectively together. And that's happening. That's that's not waiting for 2021 now. Um, busy period for us. You know, we're quite a big company because we am at JLL. We've got clients that have said, we were talking about it anyway, and they've gone, let's do it. Let's do it. We've got information. We've got proof of concept. You've got some great partners. You've got the technical solution. So we're up and running. Uh, and more and more, and it is that, you um, the accelerator point that everybody is now saying yeah well that's how we need to operate so just get the solution in and then the commercials will get changed in short order because we we want to operate better um and that gives us that opportunity for that longer relationship then because we're measuring something different
0: one thing i was going to ask you mickey um company like jll um, which is a really really big company um and they can offer all of these different services to clients do you think that's going to be the death of of maybe smaller to mid-range FM companies that just don't have the same kind of toolkit. Do you see that affecting the, the FM model in the future?
2: I think it'll affect it, but positively. So, um, if you look at technology, how it's used, how it's purchased, within 18 months it becomes much smaller, much more accessible. Yeah. And by being, uh, you know, to use an Amazon term, you're kind of day one, day two companies. A day one company will always be agile. It'll have people to take different risks and make fast decisions, and therefore can offer a differentiated service to match the purse. A, a big corporate will only match. Certain needs and certain purses, and you look at the scale of the market. There's plenty of room for mid, small scale, and, and brand new operators to step in. Um, when you have an impact like a, you know, a war or a global pandemic, it inevitably drives um, people to start new initiatives, new endeavours. So actually, I think uh, far from it. It's not that you will see some consolidation by the bigger companies like a JLL. Um, But I think for some smaller and new operators, this will be a great opportunity as they come through the summer to to be able to act and think differently and therefore offer a different service to a different part of the market. And the market's going to change. What people want will change. And we don't hold all the answers. We We will see something completely new that we're not really
1: prepped for. I mean, the the barrier to entry for tech firms now is so much lower. You don't have to build your own infrastructure. You know, you can scale on demand. um, You know, just using a tool like like AWS, combine that with some uh, IoT technology and and an idea, you can come up with a platform that is scalable, that that doesn't require huge investment up front and can deliver a real product. Quite early on, I've seen it with some of the, early providers of of iot technology um and you know someone with an idea and and the the right knowledge can can go and get and get into the marketplace and um seeing jll you know is known for for doing acquisitions and you know of, of of some tech firms and you must see some great Great companies come on board and great products come on board through that route.
2: Oh, I, absolutely. And some of them quite quickly, as world will beating, as uh, a couple of them uh, within my role, very lucky, I work with some of the uh, innovative bubbles that we invest in. So within JLL, um, where we're kind of repositioning ourselves to be very um, tech-centered, and we're looking at where those products are going to come from and how the Um, the digital product will underpin how we move forward as a service. We'll always be people-based, but it means our skill set and where we go looking for people to join the organization will change. Uh, And A great one is uh, it's a company we use, but lots of others use it as well. Um, ISS are using a company called Disruptive Technologies, which um, rather than waiting for heavyweight, wired, expensive um, sensors, they looked at a simplistic way of delivering the sensor feed, it, through a mobile phone card, or it can jump onto the Wi-Fi that gives you the differentiations. When something changes, it will report it. These things are a Scrabble tile. And um, you get a little box, you can stick them on. You don't need to be well-trained for it. And it will transform 24-7 monitoring of your space. And the things last, depending on how often you take, three to five years. Well, seeing that company go from flash to bang really quickly. Um, great, great team as well. Really great bunch to work with. It's a, it's a, a Norwegian team by startup. Um, but we're working with them. We've got them all over the world now, and they're working with Google Direct, so they provide into a Google solution. Um, and you just look at the passion and the drive of they thought differently and act differently. And that wasn't something, I guess, as a company the size of someone like jello would would have invested in and move forward on their own. But you get a smaller company that comes and works with us, and they're, um, yeah, absolutely great. And and likewise, another one we're investing called VergeSense, which is an occupancy sensor, which, again, just jumps into any platform, just APIs into any platform for those into the whole integration thing. Um, And and likewise, some of the other software providers, we've got um, sort of three in our stable at the moment we're working with, who provide the analytics for automatic control over and above the BMS but it also gives you great energy management where previously you would have had a really expensive platform that you set up for energy management. Uh, and these things are up and running in an hour to an hour and a half once you've done your survey. Um, so again, come to your point, um, Sean, sure, when you say, well, big companies corner it. No, if you're a small company, you can plug into one of these platforms, you can make a deal to get hold of the sensor tech, and you can just look after a smaller geographical location and give a very personal service, but you've plugged somebody into the 21st century at a really, really affordable rate. With a differentiated service, so the way we're you once told organized. me,
0: Mickey. Actually, on that point, just the value of um, off-the-shelf products and plug-and-play products. I think you know there are so many out there, and some of these companies, it's all they do. Yeah, and, and you can compete with big companies very, very
2: easily. Uh, absolutely. And the differentiator will be, coming back to Richard's point, your imagination. So, if you've got a bit of experience, a different skill, but you just use your imagination, you will come up with a different way to offer service. I mean, the best one we ever saw, I think, in our lifetime was um, a taxi company that's not a taxi company. Really simple idea. I'm just going to connect you to people who've got a car that want to earn a few quid driving. Um, and, you know, that. Uh, they got a huge amount of money in them to scale so fast, but it was always going to scale because it was, it wasn't an imitable idea, but it was a really good idea that they got off the ground really quickly. So within FM, there is opportunities. There's something different where people have a need, use a bit of an app, connect them to a willing workforce, and you effectively get the management, managing agent control. You will need to control the quality of what people are delivering, whether it's you know, cleaning, concierge, a bit of gardening. Um but um, yeah, it just takes a bit of imagination. Now on that one I have stole the show because we've gone and set that up. Mm. But we set it up in an entrepreneurial style where we did it in a single business unit and did it quickly. So you know, again, flashed to bang in a few months and then we will look to scale it. But others will be able to do something similar because not everyone's gonna to want to buy. A jll batch and we've done it with integral in the uk some people will want something smaller something more local so others will be able to quite quickly copy that um, and they will offer their version of it and i think that's a great thing it's almost like the fashion industry that that level of um of copying you is quite a good um, endorsement that what you've done is right
1: how are you guys facing that challenge of, of merging legacy systems with, with, with new technology? And so again, we've gone to those
2: um, imaginative, inventive, quite driven companies that have got the solution. So it's, it's not a difficult thing. And where you have got um, you know, a network um, and then you've got a BMS on it, that's still part of the story because the BMS is already set to do a level of control. So we still work with some big names, but they can see that the world has changed. So why would you fight it? It's an opportunity to work with. So it's actually not been difficult. The difficult bit was just standing up, saying we're going to do it. Bring a couple of companies together and do some proof of concepts. And we've done it against a well-known property provider along Regent Street. And it was pretty rapidly transformative. Um, You know, quite an impact on their energy spend. But their experience, the control of maintenance, the um, the interaction with cleaning services was all really quick, not particularly painful. Um, and the surprise is it's cheaper. So even though there's a bit of investment up front, which is more about cash flow, the actual service offering becomes cheaper. Um, and when you look at sustainability, yes, you then get live 24-7 feed and lifecycle management. So it's genuine then and it's transparent. Your mm-hmm. compliance goes beyond question because you can see it there and then. Um, you can see if you've got something that's non-compliant because you can set it up to sense it. Again, not difficult to do. Moreover, you you massively reduce the amount of unnecessary maintenance you do. So you don't waste parts, you don't waste materials, but it means you don't travel. So you start looking at the CO2 weighting on the amount of travel we have, both with engineers and cleaners going around the FM industry. A lot of it is, in truth, unnecessary activity, but by habit, we've done it. And it is a case of we've always done it this way, so we'll carry on doing it this way. So you know, engineering, you can peg it back to sfg 20 But why are you going to do that engineering if there's no measurement to say I need it? Why are you going to clean those areas if there's some occupancy measure and it's not dirty and it hasn't been used? Don't clean it for those days mm. because it's not going to get particularly dirty. At some point, it'll have to be redusted. And likewise with washroom use. If you're not putting any kind of monitor of ingress and egress going on for occupancy, do you need to go uh, as many hours to clean it? And you can put, you know, there's some. Like a talk cube and stuff that does a, a moisture and, a, and an aroma one, so, and none of this is mega expensive because when you offset it against what you will save an unnecessary service, it either balances out or it's cheaper. What we found out is by, um, and we've done quite a few proof of concepts now in real into service, it is cheaper, um, and therefore it's better all round. And the feed is threefold; it is it is triple bottom line. So you end up with information which is useful to the people using the space because it ends up light air. Uh, the overall energy use is better for um, the overall environment because people can decide when to travel and travel better you don't burn as much energy in the building you're also then not putting as much contaminant um, into the outside air and with all that cost saving improved productivity it is more profitable so it, it's win-win for all parties and yes some of the resource will go like say my tasking isn't what it used to be you go yeah it's not but well, that's because we then upskill reskill and we change the kind of tasking you're doing which the point when we first started talking was it gives you better value day-to-day work it's much more interesting mm. and yes it, you may have to adjust to become more of a digital native but you've got more information you've got more control the thing you do is greater value and therefore you should finish you know your seven eight hour day work going home feeling more fulfilled it's
0: not just the engineering piece we're seeing the uh, the effect that it has on on things like cleaning and stuff like that with sensors and monitoring how people are going into parts of the building uh, and then you're stopping those those cleaning cycles where those parts of the building aren't just being used so
2: and it'll be for the same for fms and building managers there um, rather than just being in a building it will give them an ability to have a wider portfolio or a small campus underneath them because they will have constant 24 7 monitoring um you know the systems we use there's um, some highly developed machine learning behind it. So we let the machine make the sort of first and second adjustments, and then it starts to feed um, a fairly complex CAFM system where it starts to prep what that maintenance will look like. So we you know, we send once, fix, and maintain many. So we can send an engineer with 15 days' notice so they've got the parts. If they're doing a part thing, um, they may go and do two lots of heavy maintenance, and they'll pick up some low-level remedials and just visit once. So it doesn't interfere with a working day, of whatever's going on in the building. Likewise, if you're a cleaner, um, if you've had some feedback and you get a couple of touch points, we have these haptic sensors where someone can say, you know, call for service, that will feed in that they don't necessarily have to be in the building, they can be within the locale of the building. (coughs) So they can go point to point with preset information, knowing how much cleaning solution they should use and therefore it's kind to the planet, but it's, it's kind of a much more exciting and involved day rather than just stuck into one building doing the same routine every day, which, you know, within the clean industry, you see that um, operatives, you know, it's pretty high churn because it's not always the most engaging um, activity if you're doing the same every day. And you want to be able to do something more with it and perhaps, you know, move into management and, and, and. So, so this kind of experience of working with, you know, a tablet that's feeding you information, better information, you just feel a lot more connected. So for the FM and a building manager, they can see all of that. So they have good cost control, energy control, and it delivers a much better service to the client. And with that, we peg them to some sort of measure of the client's productivity. It's a completely different world we're asking people to step into, but it is one that is much, much higher value and probably means that the interaction they have as humans will have to change because it becomes probably more complex conversations you're having rather than sitting there with a tone like that at the end of the month going, this many P1s, that many P1s, we missed this much spot cleaning. Jill was off for four days. It wasn't on the front desk. How much wasted mm-hmm. food did we have? Yeah. Which while that information is still important, it's delivered in quite a dry, almost 1970s fashion. We want to move that along to make it much more engaging.
0: I'm assuming in, in the future, we'll just have um, robo cleaners coming out the floor as well.
2: No, I don't think we will. You know, we've, we've, we've looked at the, um, the whiz, um, which is you know, the SoftBank Hoover thing, which does part of it. You know, it, cleaning you need humans we are good at it we see things we're much more reactive to it so if you go somewhere it's like you know if you go to a really nice hotel the silver service is always going to be delivered by humans because it Mm. takes a human touch and a bit of empathy about what the space needs certain tasks will be picked up by a level of automation but i don't think it goes away
1: uh, um, but what i love about it is just how the possibilities are endless once you start integrating systems so you know a smart button like you're saying a haptic smart button press could trigger any kind of workflow you know whether that is uh, getting a cleaning resource or whether that is just tracking a, a data point which then drives um, some, some reporting that happens and once you start making those in those integrations um the 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 ideas just keep flowing of what, what you can achieve and how you, how you can use that data. Um, I love the idea of, um, of monitoring the motor currents of uh, fan coil units. So um, to measure how clean the filters are. So rather than have to, have to do a quarterly or an annual filter clean, you can actually find your baseline of what a clean filter's like. Um, when the motor current is above that baseline, you can generate, you can you can generate an alert, which can then generate a ticket from your CAFM system, which in turn sends an engineer there to to investigate and make that change. And before you know it, you're you know in a large building, you could be taken out of thousands of hours of of labor of people getting above desks, on steps, above the ceiling, just because they're following um, a um, a scheduled maintenance. Um, who says the whole building is used exactly the same? You know, one area may they may use more paper, it may be more dusty, it may be more people in there, but that's not taken into account. And we've been maintaining fan units for years, but it's never changed. And it's only it's only now that um, we're we're starting to look deeper at data and do things like that. And that's just the tip of the iceberg for me on where we can save save time and save manpower. And you're right, and the, and so
2: we've done that for real. So it's uh, pilot proof of concept. We want to understand what the overall saving would be. So we looked at three mundane tasks which take quite a lot of human resource that you get very little revenue for and definitely not profitable. And then we looked at some of these visits that don't have value. And when it's condition based, we do it on this frequency that's book based. And you go, well, actually, no, no one, no one uses the floor space the same. No building is the same ever. Um, so so what we we stand by is we will find twenty percent cost. To us, saving by using this, you can go much further. Depending on if there's more critical assets, etc.
0: We are back for part two. Um, I'm wearing the same jumper. Uh, <laughs> the guys have changed. Um, this is actually four days later. So we, uh, <laughs> so I, I have showered and I have watched this jumper. Um, but yeah, we've been uh, we've come back. Mickey had an outage, um, and uh, yeah, we're going to continue the the podcast.
1: Thanks, Sean. <laughs> so we were just getting to my um, my favorite bit, talking about automation. Can I just say one thing? Ne- yeah. Next time you ask me
0: to do that, give me a bit of a run up. because uh, that's,
1: You could a have paused for five seconds. Uh, we're not going to run out of tape. <laughs> <laughs> we might have to do one
0: later. Yeah.
1: <laughs> okay. <clears throat> so yeah, we cut off just as we get into my favorite bit, talking about automation. Um, so, Mickey, automating tap temperature checks. It's a real manual job for engineers to do. And at the moment, with buildings being occupied much less than usual, flushing and tap temperatures is even more important. So can you tell us a bit about um, how that how that can be automated and, and generally how automation's creeping in?
2: Yeah, absolutely, I'd love to. Um, I mean, for for what we're looking at, is very much within my world. It's, it's a lead program, uh, but we're not unique. We've seen other companies do it as well. Um, so I think something that's always been a problem before is how do you put an affordable piece of technology onto the infrastructure that can give you a feed that meets accepted um, code of practice that uh, almost irrelevant what region you're in, that the, um, you know, the equivalent of health and safety and, and for us, Public Health England are willing to stand by. And and therefore, everybody is confident that the solution is uh, technically achievable, is valid, is affordable, uh, and is foolproof. So um, we'd had an innovation team look at um, what was on the market, who we could work with on the market, and how we put something together that would allow us to move our engineers up the value chain for doing better value engineering, at the same time, give our clients and customers absolute assurance that... Um, the readings that we were taking were accurate and correct keep everybody legal and safe and um, and then the most important bit was that the whole thing was affordable and it has to be cheaper than the way you're doing it at the moment so we work with a really innovative company in Norway called Disruptive Technologies and um, beautiful bit of kit they have looks like a Scrabble tile uh, to go to a specific holder and they do a range of sensors so they can do um, uh, flow they can do temperature uh, they can do vibration and we've, um, we've just worked with them quite closely looking at a, a current transformer as well so we can pick up metering. So the one we're interested in here because it is one of the more mundane tasks but incredibly important hence we've always done it with somebody on site using a thermometer was how do we measure the tap temperature where we make it efficient uh, and to a point 24 seven. So we get a little holder, it has to go a specific part on the piping. Um, so we've generated a set of risk assessment method statement for that for engineers, almost any engineer can do it. And likewise, clients can do it themselves. They fix that to the right part of the piping that feeds into the tap. Um, there is a little 4G connector that has to plug in that picks up the signal. So it could just plug into any socket. It's effectively a SIM card that's welded inside a little holder. But likewise, we can always use the Wi-Fi in the building as well, as well as the signal scene. That then jumps, and at this point, we should say it's really important, the data it's pumping out here at this point is useless, um, which means it's incredibly secure. um, Because even if you intercept it, it means nothing to anyone else until it goes into the data center um, and then it goes into the um, conversion platform. From that conversion platform, what it does then securely is it will feed an analytics platform. So in this case, and we will name drop, we work really closely and we've actually invested in them, a company called InfraGrid uh, run by Will. Um, and he could see there was a gap in the market to put some kind of cloud-based analytic that had to be wholly accessible and really affordable. I mean, if you know, you're a single shop owner, you still kind of want to be able to buy into the service. So the sensor feeds into that. It's set up with a set of limits. It's then um, given if this, then that um, logic, what to do if it gets to a limit or indeed, if it doesn't see flow over a period of time, well, that in turn then can generate an instruction um, and the instruction plugs into the CAFN. Now, when we look at in the UK for JLL, we work with integrals. So we've got wholly owned engineering um, subsidiary. Uh, So they've got a really complex Maximo system, a super optimizer, and then they they plug into this system called Cognito, which is the mobile app that's got an AI engine behind it. So it's quite complex technology, but that's InfraGreed feeding into that. Likewise, it can just feed onto your mobile and send you a text message, or it can send you an email. So it's it's really versatile depending on what level it's got to operate with. So if we take the easiest level that, you know, I've got my own little shop, I've had the sensors fitted, and I want to know, whether or not my tap temperature has passed, I can just go on board onto um, my link and look to see what my compliance tracker is telling me. And likewise, it will alert me if I drop out. It will send me a text saying, your building's failed tap temp because say nobody's been in, which is what you get at the moment. No one's been in for days and days and days. So it's not had a reading and it says you fall out of the rules that you've put in. Now, all of that, when it was from setup to start using it, takes um an engineer, including travel time, about an hour and 10 minutes. Um and uh, they plug and play it, you get a message to say you're up and running, and then you do nothing else at pay. Um quite a low subscription. So it's quite affordable. And onto the same platform you can add a range of other sensors. You can have egress and ingress sensors for um you know if people are at desks, if people are going through doors. Um you can do um water presence sensors to as leak detection and you as I say you could already um, put things on to check your electrical supply as well. So you can see if you're gonna see um, short circuit or if you're gonna see high loads, all of that through the same system. Really, really affordable, no need for a BMS, no need for any other building automation. Um, comes in a little kit and this thing is, is super, super versatile. Um, I mean, for that experience alone, it's got traction because uh, Google have bought into it. So they have a version which still uses DT, um, it's called Mesa. Uh, And we're also seeing at the moment in the market, Amazon um, have looked at those kind of sensors. They've generated their own, but again, they're hitting the market with similar type sensors. Um, So, again, I think that's absolutely game changing that you can get that level of service really affordable. It's cheaper than what you would pay at the moment for people turning up on site 24 7. Uh, and the good thing, it might be a, a question you can ask in a minute, which is what about calibration? Well, the system auto calibrates. We know it stays in calibration for three years and the battery on the device has a three to five year um, life. So we plan everything around three years. Um, and really, really good if you look at what's going on in the world at the moment, especially as, you know, since we last spoke coming into this week, most of the country is either in or starting to head towards a higher level of restriction within tier four. So more and more buildings are gonna be left empty. Well, once you're instrumented with this, it's sat there and you're getting constant feed. Mm. So, yes, say you will fall out of compliance because people aren't going to go into your property. Well, so be it. What it does mean, though, is you're absolutely clear what you must do before you return to the property. So you won't expend any more cash. You will just time at the point, right, you know, in this case, lockdown is going to lift. I know I no need to go and do a full flush down because the taps haven't been done and I'm out of tolerance. I pretty much know what electricity is. And I've also known no one's been in the premises for no 30 50 days so it puts you on a really good footing whereas previously you might have paid for someone to turn up in a van and look at the outside of your buildings costing you a couple of a month. plus you've got no data to say what you actually need to do to make the building usable again and bring yourself back to compliance and again yeah, it's one you...
1: thing it's one thing following sfg 30 to uh to come back from mothballing your building but to have actual data to show where you're not complying and what you need to go and do and prioritize. Um, I just think that's a great tool to have. And, you know, historically, these sort of systems were expensive, not necessarily accessible and also not scalable, even not able to scale down to that level because, you know, a base level of a building management system, you know, just building that architecture with the cabling, the controllers, you know, the software, the licensing, all of that, it, it, it's such a big step to to go and get something, but now for to be able to scale down to you know one or two devices, one man band, you know your shop or a small office, and be able to, to monitor and guarantee that compliance. I think that's a that that's that's a great step forward. Um, but where it really gets exciting is when you can combine the outputs from those to workflows. Um, and Sean and I were talking about the Integral Facilities On Demand platform, I'm sure you can, you'll be able to tell us a bit about that, but the idea of being able to take a workflow from a sensor or an array of sensors and then drive, send that into um, a platform that can drive your reaction and output tasks to engineers where real stuff needs, needs to be done, that's when it gets really exciting for me, um, and can you tell us a bit about the, the Facilities On Demand platform?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So um, we've put the Alpha program out there. Um, so we use we've got a wholly owned platform called Carigo. So we've used Corigo to get to the market, um, which has an app. You drop an app. Um, you register. You get set up. But unlike um, you know a, a regular uh, arrangement you'd have for an M and provider or or likewise for a soft service provider, there's no formal contract. There's acceptable T's and C's. So that's contract in form. But when you want work, you ask for it now um what we did see as we came through lockdown was where we were going to go and instrument some buildings um it was also then if, not, if someone's not going to take necessarily a heavyweight m&e contract, it was well what can i do if this machinery you pass to me because we're going to fit it and you pay a charge for that then says i need stuff doing and i want you as an option then we said well the next stage then is you can be auto set up through on demand that we will then send an engineer so we would then say you've got an option for an engineer You've you've failed water tap temps. We've got a van in the area in two days' time. Do you want us to go in, run the taps, bring it back to compliance? Yes or no, job goes out. So there's a little bit of interaction there. Likewise, you can just get the alert to say um, you've got short circuits. You see your electrics go off. And um, from the app, you can then decide, actually, I I know there'll be a reference code. I'll use that reference code. I want to launch the job. The job comes into the system. Um, Again, with Integral, there's, there's quite a lot of technology behind it. Um, but it would come into Maximo then. So you don't see Maximo, you don't interact with it at all. You're just using this simplistic app um, and the information would flow through. It goes into the job sequencer, gets optimised, the job gets allocated, and then you get informed who's come in and when. Now, what we are doing is um, we're taking another step. So uh, the provider who looks after the workers' um, interaction, the field services function, called Cognito. So they're working with us. And they're going to. The next stage is we will change the front end so that you can do auto register, immediate payment, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, but also we have something called customer notification, which is very Uber-esque. That um, you will get when your job has been sequenced. But then you get the little tracking bit of such and such is on his way, um, and we'll be with you two o'clock today. And then when he's leaving his next, his last job before you will say he's on route. You hit the link, and it will go to the map to show you where the engineers come in. As they finish the job, they take photos and all that gets loaded into what will be you can see through your app. But also then, um, I think it is quite important, is the customer satisfaction feedback. Now, at the moment, what we find is um, you normally do it on site there and then with a customer, which kind of forces probably a happier face sometimes than perhaps they're (laughs) going to have, which is great. But MPS-wise, when you look at a net promoter score, it's not necessarily a true reflection. Some people sometimes want you to have gone, have a good look around, have a think, cogitate hours experience and then score you. So within the app, we also then have the fact you can score us post our departure um, and you can have customer feedback follow-up as well with one of our offices and pick up a phone to say, you know, if we got it wrong, we don't want to leave it wrong, let's make it right because we will learn from that. Um, and for the, it's kind of circa 200 clients that we've converted from what was the integral local set of clients. So smaller estate owners, um, those with a probably... Um, in a more challenging purse on what they want to spend. So this is a really good fit for them that you just spend what you need at the time. And you can make the choice to you know, you bring us in or you pick up Yellow Pages or Thompson Local. The beauty of us though is that you're hitting um, this large scale national infrastructure of all sorts of experts that can turn up um, who are mobile plus our supply chain, which means our prices are much more competitive. Um, but also you get your history just like, and I'll say it again, just like you do with Uber when you're seeing where you've ridden, how much you paid, what you did. The history of that, to have it readily available, when we looked last time at, you know, what is it people are after in terms of that, um, they want easy access, they want choice, they want clarity. Um, and, and that transparency of the journey, we think is really, really important. Uh, and for the clients that have converted so far, they said, uh, it was a little bit clunky to start with, as you expect. They said, actually, yes, this is, this is the right fit. And actually, when you look at the state of the market at the moment, I think this is a really good fit for now. Because Especially of li-
0: void buildings and
2: stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, well, void buildings, liquidity challenges, people with varied estate where if you've got, if you look at something with building automation that costs a load, you will tend to have a different level of service of that. Yeah. But within your state, if you've got you know single retail style unit or a, a much lower value property in terms of its complexity, you actually may want a mixed service. So, yes, you may want a hard and fast, fully managed contract for certain buildings. And you want, um, you know, a, a more selectable on-demand service for other buildings. And, and we're in a position where we can then um, provide that range of service offerings all under one umbrella. Um, and there are quite a few of the clients now that are looking and saying, "On well, those buildings actually we'd like to engage with on-demand and only include these buildings and a managed service um, set up. And, and that's great um, because either way, you're still getting to do the work. So you know. th- that will work for us as a provider as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, so you, you can just have your statutory umbrella covered across the buildings where you need it, and then dip in and out for, for what you need. And um, you know, it's it is quite Uber-esque some of the things, um, some of those features that you're saying. And uh, but I think where it differs is, and and I'll say again, it's it's still moving in the the engineers or the person delivering the service up the value chain a bit. I think where you, you know, likes of Uber, Uber is um. Uh, self-driving cars brought forward but the the driver, that bag of blood and bones that's sitting in there, is just a temporary thing. The technology is being built by Uber, and and that low cost, and also the subsidy that that Uber pay the driver to take you around because they're losing money, and it's investors' money going in there. They know that that driver is is doesn't really add value to them, and eventually will not be needed. You know, sooner rather than later. Um, but for the for the facilities on demand, I think the you know an engineer going to site. Now, not having to do that basic investigation, you know, it's not a clipboard and a and a a, uh, thermometer to to measure tap temperature. It's going in there and looking. You know, what's the fix? What's the solution? So the time that they're spending for you on site, you're getting absolute value out of that resource. Um, by having that data backing it up some, um, it's, it's, it's really exciting.
2: Actually. No, you're absolutely right, Richie. I mean, the, the, uh, the two metrics, you know, we're, we're connected with we're a large-scale American company way, but the two metrics we're constantly juggling is, as we call it there, windshield time versus tool time. Now, as far as the client's concerned, they, they want tool time. They want the value-added of you coming in, rapidly diagnosing and making good. And we want, and, and in truth, we all want this, even if we get service at home, we want first-time fix. You want mm. one visit, fulfil your promise and do a good job, do a quality job, so I shouldn't see you with the same breakdown again. Now, to understand that and where your challenges are, you, you just need good data, and that allows you then to make the right choices. Now, one of the things we have found with On Demand is people are a bit more considered how they ask for the job, and we, they've got the chance, which most people do, to take a photo. And then that photo comes in. We still have a certain amount of person in the loop, so the person in the loop can look at one and go are actually on that, we may need a bit more information. So they can go back to the, um, the requester and say, uh, with this, could you just take a picture here or do that? And actually everybody finds that much more interactive, that human interaction that way, because they feel as though they're going to be part of the solution. But if we can get three or four right images and probably get a question answered, quite a lot of the time we don't need it, but when we do, it will be then that the engineer knows they will need a specific part, plus the fact the job may take three or four hours, because look go, ah, ah, I know this. Whereas a lot of the time, if you look at where a, CAF, a standard caffeine works, it just pumps out an instruction. There's no interaction. And when they get there, they go, oh, it's not quite as described. It was only a two-liner from somebody who phoned yep. up. So the richness of what we're giving to the person who adds the value, and the person who adds the value is the engineer.
1: Because mm. they've
2: are going, they they've got the customer interaction, they're the interface, and they're the ones um, fulfilling that value chain. Um and for those that are taking the on-demand jobs, I think they prefer them, because there is a bit more interaction and they feel more informed what they're going to do. And they're also told with a bit more um, time, because it is like Uber, you launch and request a job, and then you're told when the job will be done. So it's not the same as, I'm on a four hour, a 24 hour, 48 hour SLA, because half the time it's unrealistic, because you don't get the chance yeah. to close loop it, and therefore deliver value. With on-demand, it's just a much richer experience, which is great. And with it, the other bit that it's taught, uh, sort of taught us, which is the next step we're taking with the boys and girls on the front line, is looking at how we um, employ gamification to make their days much more exciting, to add some chase value in it. So, so if, you know, when I first got involved with Integral, whether you did one job a day or five jobs a day, you took a salary home. Um, and then we, we introduced this product called Cognito, um, which helps manage the day. But it allows you then to start scoring, see where you've got people who, by the metrics, appear not to be meeting um, fulfilment. But when you look, there might be a reason why. So if you look at, you know, some of the team up in Scotland, their transit times are always going to be much higher just because of the lay of the land. You know, you've got um, you've got Edinburgh and Glasgow, <laughs> Falkirk and Vennest, but the gaps in between where we'll still have clients are quite large. So you, you have to weight that against the terrain that that individual's working across, and therefore you'll find actually, in terms of customer fulfilment. their overall value someone who's working in bristol or central london they'll be able to go building to building and probably get nine or ten jobs done yeah but but the client overall if you've got distributed estate we need to ensure it's fair we also want them to be motivated so um over and above the balance weighting of where people sit within league tables um the bit we're working on cognito now is how we can then give them a chase reward in day so you engage not just you know with the handset because the handset's the handset you're putting data in but actually, get them thinking, get them trying to stretch themselves a bit on what we're doing with the customer, for the customer, and you know, how many good quality jobs can you get done, um, plus how they work with our suppliers. Uh, and with that, we're looking at things like you, know, you do some electronic tokening, or do you start the day red, go amber, then you go into blue, where you're going to start hitting your overperformance. And for your overperformance, you'll be awarded some tokens. You group your tokens together, just like Tesco Club Card you can then swap your tokens for financial reward, as well as the other bit we've been looking at, is chat called Bernard McPhail, who's really into all this within the organization. Um, and we talked about the best operator in each region, perhaps wearing the yellow jersey for a month. So if you're the super operator for your yeah. varied scores, and, and even for clients, a couple of clients are disgusted with. That's kind of cool because, you know, if you get the yellow jersey engineer, you've got the knockout
1: engineer. <laughs> yeah, you've got you've um, got a, that's, that's brilliant. The gamification part is superb. And and also the satisfaction of the engineers going to jobs where they know what to expect. They're not going to turn up and, and it be something completely different to what they've been told by someone taking a call, writing something down wrong, sending a message. Um, and that, that can really impact you as an engineer going out and doing doing those jobs. But you know, having the satisfaction of turn up with what you need, and pleasing the person you're there to to help, who who needs that service, who needs that thing fixed, and you know, going away with the satisfaction that you've you, you've you that and that they're, they're happy. That's really important, and I think that all all adds to productivity as well. If you if, you, if your engineers are happy, um, then they're more productive. You think
0: they're well, going to well, need well, without doubt. Okay.
1: No. Go on, Sean. I was going to say,
0: is the engineer of tomorrow going to need kind of a new set of skills to what they have now? Uh,
2: absolutely. And I think most people kind of know that already. And, and just the life we live, you know, the, the last, um, let's call it the year for the way that this has all gone on. Um, if you're a bit of a digital laggard, um, your life has changed because, you know, everybody's had to start communicating differently. You're getting a laptop and you'll Zoom or Teams or um Got a lady in our team called Praveena Dahl. She taught me a new term the other day called face wine. <laughs> when you do your FaceTime with a bottle of booze in your hand, I was like, oh, I hadn't come across that one before. But, but we're seeing people have had to rapidly change the way they interact. And there is a kind of digital theme associated with it. Um, and interacting digitally about how you access information and therefore how you think and how you act. Uh, that's really going to resonate. And I think it's just for engineering, engineers of the future, yes, but those that delivering soft services, the same, because rather than be- where we started to get efficient and do things like um, spot cleaning, we had much more control over the chemicals we were using, how much water you use. you do start thinking more sustainably. Um, that will change where it will start to be sensor driven. So on the same platform, when we're talking about tap temps, we have uh, sort of the touch and sense sensors, which also drive improvements in soft services. Likewise, concierge services will probably be less people necessarily sat in the foyer and perhaps connecting to people, the equivalent of kind of a contact centre where you can digitally cover a number of buildings to still offer a concierge service. And some people would struggle with it, I think, at first because it's perhaps not as humane as seeing a a human when you come into a building saying, you know, how do I go around this building? I've come to see such and such. Um, But I can see those services being balanced off with more digital experience. Um, not just because of efficiency but you know some of the practices around hygiene and what we've learned about um the way you can see viruses operating differently now we're much denser cities the way we live um the way we commute and um, allowed this virus to rip through the planet pretty quickly and you go back and look at sars and mers first time around the planet wasn't as connected so it was very controlled quite quickly and contained this unknown place in china Um, spread around the world at a rapid rate of knots and it turns out it was as connected as anywhere. So with all those things considered, the kind of skills that you'll have on the front line are changing now and the kind of training people would have been undertaking over the last five or six months, definitely within our um, teams, they've had to start training differently, the way we communicate, the way we capture information, the way we interact with information, the way you consider your safety, um, all of that has brought people forward quite quickly. I think the speed of that journey will just continue now. Uh, and it means yeah. where, where companies change their service offering, and it will change, will probably mean they will dip into different sectors and different segment of sectors when they're looking for a new talent. So you look at talent that's already been operating, as I think we said it last time. So oil and gas industry and the aviation industry, well, they've taken quite a hit. Um, oil and gas industry, where it's redirecting um, and pivoting to a more sustainable energy offering means there's a huge amount of talent now that if it's not going to be held by them has got use and purpose elsewhere and a great one will be from um, the airlines whether it be from the hospitality um, front end or from that engineering and organization back end their ability to work in a modernizing changing built environment i, I think is a fantastic match so it means within the workspace uh, i guess a different skill set but also different competition now coming in on who can step into various companies and, and take that journey forwards not just with technology but the way we operate with different processes and the way we interact as people
0: i suppose it's going to be far less menial jobs for engineers to do so upskilling themselves now is is probably the thing that they need to start considering
2: no i think so and and coming back to Richie's point before when he said you you know it's very real now it's very interesting we're seeing what would have been classed as much lower value real estate previously you know single unit shops or smaller schools they can now access this technology that it was only for the prestige prime big buildings previously, they can access it here. And now it's very affordable, which means those that operate services, a certain way will have to adjust to operate them in a new way, which will be largely underpinned by technology and all digitally driven.
0: Yeah. Um, One thing I was going to ask you actually was, um, the security, um, implications of everything being cloud-based, do you get some clients kind of pushing back with, with, with worries about the fact that everything's quite centralised? Um,
2: um, I think as you go through bids and, and then the question is in the system, um, there are uh, more and more in-depth um, checks, balances, need for certification and proof of the resilience of where your systems are sat. Um, so, you know, it's a bog standard. Now, everybody wants uh, Cyber Essentials as a level of certification, and more and more are now moving to Cyber Essentials Plus. Uh, as, organ- as an organization, you need to hold yourself for ISO 27001 about not just, you know, whether you're using virtual private networks and multi factor authentication and password rotations and tokens and all that good stuff, but also that the management of your people and your behaviors adhere to these standards because that alone will show, um, you know, whether or not you are secure, uh, you add in GDPR, how you manage the data, um, and it becomes, I think for the service provider, which is at scale, if you're the one that's providing that platform, it becomes a bit more expensive for you. So when we talked before, um, you know, something like you look at Will at Infogrid. What well, they have to ensure because they manage that. So they, t- they manage that risk because they're providing that platform for others. Yeah. It works for them because they can access a wide market. So they can have lots and lots of operators on their platform, which makes it hugely affordable. Um, and I think previously, if you were a smaller organization, you were trying to do this yourself. That's why it wasn't affordable, because you were still going to have to jump through these um, hoops and loops. Um, and I think the questions and the standards and the queries from the bigger organizations, they're quickly echoed by smaller organizations that still want... Um, the same assurances and the proof that, um, you know, trusting their information to you, trusting a flow of data that's coming out of their building into a data center that's your responsibility. Um, Yeah, they're they're equally as searching nowadays, which is why, coming back to what I was saying about the simplicity of using disruptive technologies, the data extract from the building has no value until it's been processed in the data center where it hits much higher levels of security. And I think that's a trick as well, is to keep it as dumb as possible as you extract it from its source. And then you only add value um, in a really hyper-secure environment that's also got resilience, auto-backup. You know, it's mirrored in a couple of places. Um, And that kind of complexity where you do do the processing, that's the thing then that starts to cost more money. I
0: suppose some clients... We want a, a mix of both stuff that they control and that you can control as well, depending on of the the environment that they're working in.
2: Well, some do. Some want it separate as well. So a banking environment, um, there's certain things that they just, you know, they've got their own network. Um, they won't allow the use of Wi-Fi, so having secure 4G instead as a separate feed with, um, if you like, non-interruptible data, but also data that carries no value. Um, is one of the things that kind of drove us to look at the design and implementation of the things we've done. And it, it was with one of our bigger banking clients to be able to move it forwards. And that then means we can use it elsewhere and knowing that we're securing the solution we put forward, meeting really high standards. Um, uh, and in some cases, I think you will get to point it, for some people, it just won't be for them. Um, so it's not, it's not a ubiquitous fit all um, solution. Some people will always want a different solution which is really good then for other companies that deal, um, you know, where it will continue to be resource heavy, their price will be different, but the experience they offer will also be different, Um, which is only good for the industry because that way um, everybody kind of gets an aspect of the market and it keeps a lot of businesses um, operating. Fantastic. Um, Richie,
0: anything else?
1: Um, No, I just want to echo... um what you were saying Mickey there's definitely not a one-size-fits-all with that stuff and you know there's it's, it's funny because you might have a, an enterprise customers that will some will only use the um the, the large-scale system in, integrators and but some of those enterprise customers may go down and use the the smaller market disruptors um there's there's a different a different system for for all, all sorts of different applications and um i don't think there's one model customer or one model supplier and it's uh it's really interesting when you see that and i think one of the big differences these days is the ability to integrate before you were you were really limited it was you know you were just stuck with apis but now you know you can share a data stream from with from devices with multiple different platforms so there's there's so many levels you can integrate on it's a I think it's a golden era for, um, for, for automation and data collection and, um, and there'll be some really, really cool technologies coming coming out that we see. And a lot of that is driven by the, um, miniaturization of sensors, like from mobile phones, um, as well. So that, you know, mass production of sensors in phones has, has really driven down the cost of, um, of producing them. You know, like you said, sticking them in something the size of a Scrabble tile, it would, you wouldn't believe it if you, um, if, uh, you know, just five years ago, looked at some of those sensors, I, to be honest, I, I hardly believe it now when I, when I look at them, what's available. It's Amazing how much of a difference that will make when um, when planning infrastructure
0: within buildings as well. It's so so much cheaper, isn't
2: it? I think you're right, yeah, because um, where, you know, Richard saying before, it was um, you knew you have to wire everything out. You put a fairly expensive, difficult to manage BMS in.
0: Um, Which you have to rip out if it
2: goes wrong as well. You do. It's also quite costly to keep that maintained because over and above the licenses, you need the right level of engineering expertise that keep that tuned. And the BMS will always need tuning. Um, And even the BMS providers, you you look at um, Trent and Honeywell, uh, Schneider's done it. Everyone's now looking beyond what was just a classic BMS. And I think the BMS will just end up being a control box within the building. And they'll just push it out into the cloud. And and Schneider already is doing. They've got a system called Ecostructure. Um, and they move the analytic into the cloud where you can do, you can monitor your building much more, you have much more control, but you also end up with this richer vein of data that allows, it turns it into actionable insights, and that's the term that everybody uses. Uh, and that actionable insight then is, is the value add bits that some of the insights will be an automatic response to the building, so I will slow things down, shut it down, you know, cool it, do whatever. But at some point, when you look at that automation into getting a human to respond, it will generate a most likely response, a second response, and a tertiary response. So if you're going there, let's use engineering again, it will tell you this is what's happened over the last 30 days, therefore the computer thinks this is what you need to do. It might be change your filter, or it might be go to an endpoint, make an adjustment. But if it's not that, this is the most next likely resolution, or it could be this. The engineer will go and do whatever they do. They feed the information back, and then the platform learns. It was like, oh, that case I was wrong and it'll try and then associate which bit of data. And for our more complex buildings, we're we're very much doing that with um, a couple of the heavyweight suppliers. I mean, Iconics is is a real leader on this. They're they're a um, subsidiary of Mitsubishi. And they're working really closely with Microsoft. Likewise, we work with another platform kind of VIO, and they're plugged in quite closely with Apple and Google. So all of those big tech providers are now looking at buildings because it is another revenue stream for them of how they can be part of the journey to um, do the automation, how we can modernize and rationalize how we operate, use, live, play in our buildings. Um, Because you just look at the power consumption of the built environment, and and it is the biggest power consumer over and above road traffic, rail traffic, airlines. And we're all in some sort of building one way or another. And and it sucks a huge amount of energy. So coming back to that sustainability it's why more and more people are interested. So there is a little bit of altruism about it. but it is the next big change within um, industry is how to make buildings more efficient, better run, better places to be in, um, which means that it, it is going to cycle around to being a next boom business again. Uh, I very much see that, and I, you know, I think it was Richie's first question to me: "How the hell do you go from being rocket science defining yourself? Um, in truth, it's the four L's: you know, lifts, lose, local air temperature, and lights. And um, Now, those four L's of where the complaints come from." In truth, not the massive interest. The interest was, this is an industry ripe for greater modernization and changing the way it operates. And this year is very much driving that. It has been such a catalyst that um, the time is
1: now. And it's funny. This um, the technology, you know, in some ways enables you to extend the life, the working life of some of these buildings, rather than ripping out, knocking down. You know, being able to to retrofit, and you know that is a huge saving on carbon. You know, not rebuilding not replacing um you know getting that extra extra bit of life out of the equipment or the building or making it work more efficiently you know more people are able to use it getting more bang for your buck that has a massive impact on carbon i
2: I think you're richard you're you're right and i'll pick on the word you said there because you said people actually that's where all of this efficiency has to start because if we can't convince ourselves to operate in the building differently whacking capex in and putting smart sensors everywhere and you know a fancy new bms it still won't give you the return unless we learn to operate differently in the building first and um i was at ng bailey's and a fantastic engineering company and had this real focus on energy which it was almost a waste of time doing the capex unless you'd addressed how you use the building first you know and, and it is the um, you know, the mum and dad bit of uh, switch the light off, put some wood in the hole. It's a bit yeah. cold, so put big jumper on. And if we can change people to not quite those terms because not everyone would follow them, <laughs> uh, but, but it is, if we can learn to operate differently, the way we do at home, the way we do in buildings, then that first step will give you the biggest chunk of saving mm. in, in energies in buildings. And then at the right time, because you extend the life of the assets, uh, the sub-assets, when you do do the capex you know that you're already operating the right with the right behaviors that when you put your next air conditioning unit in you won't just get 27 years out but you'll probably get 40 next time around um and that's just better for the planet because it means we're not generating new waste in terms of the actual materials but we just stop burning so much kwh and stuff we don't need to
0: are oh, we seeing a massive difference in brand new buildings and how they're how they're built right from the get-go and oh yeah and systems and,
2: yeah, and yeah and it's it's interesting the, the um and you look at some of the companies that do those build and fit out and you look at some like ISG. They really focus now on kind of bimming and moving towards digital twin from day one. Yeah. Um, and that means you're instantly hitting the ground with a set of measurements of expectation of how you're going to use the building, how the assets behave in the building. And you've got energy envelopes and performance envelopes that within your first few months of operation, you can say we're either using the building wrong or you know, we've got quirk in the design and we can address it. So you, you're getting it all done in those very early days. And within JL, we've we've got Tetris that do that. And within Integral, we've got a, a whole build division run by Andy Demetrio. And they've got real focus on that at the moment to ensure that when we do a fit out and a change of the fit out, treat it like it's a new building and we're looking at establishing digital twins on all the work we do, because that will then give us a point to measure from. And as we mo- will have a model out, but the measurement will tell you whether your model's right or wrong. What well, models are wrong, some are useful. It's a great quote. But it gives you fantastic control to say, if it is outside expectation, why is it, you know, has the lift got a fault? You start, even though you're measuring um, against what you think your engineering performance is, you're measuring against what you'd stated the building was going to do which means quite early on you can then coax people to behave differently if it is a behavioral thing because everyone's just leaving the lights on everyone's overriding the heat or you're only expecting certain uh, lift usage capacity and you're seeing no overcapacity, and you start being clever then with wellness encouragement get people to you know run up the stairs as a competition but but uh, and all of those measures mean that um yeah very early on and you look at the buildings where it's put in place and uh, the iconics now appearing in um london 22 bishop's gate uh, the Tinner ham um six london war just switched on as well all of those buildings have gone through that journey where there is they've been modeled there's an expectation they're measured with an inch of their life from day one um because it is about usability that people using the building have a sense of wellness and, and good feeling, so they're productive in their day um, but also that the building stays within its um, cost and affordability, and the life cycle plan is achievable. So it's quite a lot of components you're trying to deliver on.
0: There was um, during the during the two thousands there were so many buildings that were designed badly, and that didn't really work well. Um, well, there's
2: amazing. a really good example. About, <laughs> well, there's, there's a really good there's a really good example about that with the um, chill beams with floor heating. Yeah. um so uh, there's a certain building in wood street where the chill beam sits right above the um the push floor heating so it just burns power all the time and the poor users are either not just too hot too cold they're either boiling hot or freezing cold and cold head <laughs> hot feet <laughs> <laughs> but at the time you know it was, it was bream certified bream certified and it was a drive to probably put a bit too much innovation in without sometimes just bringing in that engineer's eye or that um, uh, architect's eye of what looks good and feel good. Is it gonna work? A- and where's the user in it? You Nobody know, user acceptance training on whether or not the building is gonna fulfill everything. I think through some of those days where there was lots and lots of drive for innovation to meet certain standards. With PV the
0: in um, hydrogen fuel cells. And oh, stuff oh, like
2: oh yeah, I, I think now it's a more balanced approach and there's some really good modeling used. And it's much more considered. And you look at some of the more successful buildings that have now got up that um, operate well from start with So 22 Bishopsgate and it's like magnificent looking um, structure. Um, but that has got off to pretty good start. Uh, again, uh, the only ones I uh, know 70 St. Mary's Axe, which is the uh, the, the can of ham. Um, it's got some great innovation in it, but it's balanced and it's been measured against expectation. Although um, I know Montague Evans are going in there um, one of their partners is a um is a neighbor point we were playing dads and lads football at the weekend. So he played and he pointed out, he went, that building's one of yours, isn't it? So we'll and own it. We, we, we manage it. He went, yeah, no digital bite locks." <laughs> I was like, <laughs> it, if that's the worst thing, we can probably do something about that. <laughs> I said, what about the rest of it? He went, I'll oh, give that's me a week. You, I'll, uh... I'll, I'll pick some holes in it. but um, give them an inch, will take yeah, it Yeah, So, so I'll, I'll name drop him. Ed George was, was going to you Kendo in the, we looked after the building. and I said, oh, it's, it's really quite an innovative building. And, and he's kind of gone through that journey. Um, but I said, yeah, if the only thing you've got for me is digital bike locks, so we'll see if we can do something about that, but I did yeah. say to him, we're not putting electrics on the head, that's a waste of energy, you can have a mechanical digital bike lock.
1: Yeah, if he complains again, we'll get some of the counsellor security passed. Turn his heating out. up really hard, yeah. Yeah, and uh... <laughs> yeah, brilliant. All right, guys, all 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 right. Thanks Thank a lot. Cheers, okay, take, take care. Cheers, Thanks. bye. bye. bye.